0: Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, over the years, I have shied away from one topic more than any other topic in church. Um... And that's not giving, okay? Um, I've preached on giving a good amount. I, I'm not going to do that today, so just relax, okay? It's, okay? But I know this topic is probably a slight lightning rod in our world today, okay? In fact, it might be better just to be struck by lightning than actually follow through with the sermon, okay? <laughs> I mean, uh, not really, but before I get started, I want you to understand my background on the topic. I want you to understand where I come from. Like, okay, I have a degree from Washburn, all right? It's a BPA, okay, (laughs) which is not a Bachelor of Science. It's not a Bachelor of Arts. It's not a Bachelor of Business Administration. It's a Bachelor's of Public Administration. It's the only degree that is BPA in college settings. It's the only degree confirmed that way. Well, with that degree... Um, It's a design, it's a degree designed to work within state, local, federal government, um, city planning, city management, administration, and public settings. The degree required a large amount of work in the subject of political science, political theory, administrative law, state and local government, public budgeting, and others. I won't bore you with those details. My final three credits at Washburn for my degree were an independent study, and I got to choose the topic, and the topic was the separation of church and state. Uh, The remarkable thing about that is I wrote the paper and got an A. I'm not sure. It was actually accepted by the university. They took it. They Um, I knew it wasn't exactly the most favorable topic for a university at that point, nor is it still today. Look, when I wrote the paper on the separation of church and state, I I wanted to know, what does that mean? What was the reason for those terms? And and we realized that 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 term, uh, if you don't know it, is not found in any government document. It is found only in a letter to the Danbury Baptist Convention in 1802 by Thomas Jefferson. And it was written with the intent
1: of keeping the state out of the church, not the church out of the state. Look,
0: I'm not telling you how to vote today. I'm not even going to get close to telling you how to vote today. But I'm going to give you some principles of what you and I ought to be doing as followers of Jesus who live in America. There is no question that the United States was founded as a response to what they had just left. It was a response to England and the king, and they started a new kind of government. But we have to be honest, even though it was founded on many biblical principles, It wasn't perfect. For instance, let's consider for just a moment the Declaration of Independence. Now I realize we the people is from the Constitution, but I want to focus for just a moment, just to give you an insight into our history. We know the words, but I'm going to read a few of them for you. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with one with another, And to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect for the, to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, government Governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. It goes on. We're not going to read the whole thing. It goes on and lists a a number of complaints as to why they were choosing to separate. Now, you have to understand that there were a few people gathered in a room, and they made the decision for the people of this new land that they were going to separate and start a fight with the most powerful nation in the world at that time. Doesn't sound real smart to me, but we're grateful that they did it because we,
1: we enjoy great freedoms. But we have to also understand that they were not perfect. There has never been a government that's perfect. There never will be one that's perfect
0: unless Jesus is ruling and reigning. But it goes on and lists these complaints in in the Declaration of Independence. And then we read towards the end of the Declaration of Independence these words. And I'm going to put them on the screen for you. His excited domestic insurrections amongst us and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers the merciless Indian savages whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. Now, there's a problem here. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, unless you are a merciless Indian savage. What they said was, you're endowed by your Creator with certain inalienable rights as long as you look like us, as long as you come from where we come from. Now, I'm pointing this out for us, for us to understand
1: that the founding of our nation, God's hand was in it, but they were not perfect. And governments are not perfect. We know
0: that's not right. That's unacceptable. We we know that 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 is not okay. It's not okay to in the Constitution, in order for it to pass, to have, a, to have a, a compromise called the three-fifths compromise,
1: that slaves only counted as three-fifths of a person. That, that, that's not right. So, so, so we have this history that I am so grateful for,
0: but we also have to acknowledge that at times, We have made mistakes. When we look back to our founding fathers, we do so with honor and respect. We also have to keep in mind they were not perfect. And the
1: government they designed was not perfect. The government we now have, (laughs) you know where that's going is not perfect. We're fully aware of that, aren't we? Sometimes, we think too great of a view of our original government and even our current government. The original was was not perfect. It wasn't designed to be perfect although they did say they wanted to form a more perfect union. God helped them, but it had flaws. God was in it, but it wasn't perfect. Look, I'm not
0: talking today about political parties. I'm talking about what is our responsibility
1: for our nation and our government. America is a great nation, there's a lot of things about our country that are incredible.
0: But I want to give you a perspective of what it was like to live in a nation that wasn't your choosing. I know for many of us, we didn't actually choose to live in America. It's kind of the you know, product of birth. We, we ended up here. And we've never chosen to move away. Some of you in the room have chosen to move to America because you wanted to move here.
1: Maybe to flee persecution as our forefathers did. But none of us in the room were carried off to America because we were a prisoner of war. We're going to take a look at Jeremiah 29.
0: We see a letter in Jeremiah 29, that was sent to the people of Jerusalem who were carried off to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar in approximately AD or BC 597. And what we see is Jeremiah's instructions to them from God. Jeremiah sends a letter to the children of Israel who are held captive in a foreign land. That isn't anything like they were used to. They, they couldn't do what they used to do. They couldn't worship God the way they used to worship God. They could no longer practice Judaism the way that they were used to practicing Judaism. They were now bound by a, a new country and a new government.
1: And Jeremiah sends a letter to them under the inspiration of God. And it says in
0: Jeremiah 29, verse 4 This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled in Babylon from Jerusalem Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. So, so God is directing the captives to go on with life. They were going to be there for a while. Might as well live. But then he gives them some interesting instructions. See, because he given instructions like that once before. See, because when they, the children of Israel were carried into captivity into
1: Egypt, they lived there and they were held against their Will. God made them prosperous. God made them multiply. He made them into a great nation
0: in order to fulfill his purpose when they left Egypt. In verse 7 it says, And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. So God is giving instructions to the children of Israel in Babylon to work for the peace and prosperity of the city where they live. He is actually telling the Jewish people to work for the peace and prosperity of Babylon. This is an ungodly place. And and he says, don't work against it. Work for it. The Jewish people were known (laughs) to fight against those who ruled over them. They didn't want to be ruled by other people. They didn't want to be ruled by the Babylonians. They didn't want to be ruled eventually. They didn't want to be ruled by the Romans. We know that one of Jesus' disciples, this guy named Simon, and he was part of the party that was the zealots, and
1: he was fighting for the overthrow of Rome. It's what he believed in. Was the Babylonian government perfect? (laughs) I know we weren't there. But no, it was
0: not perfect. In fact, it was horrible. It was a terrible place
1: for the people of Israel. The Babylonians were not perfect, but they were being used by God to carry out his purpose. Just because
0: a government is carrying out the purposes of God doesn't mean it's perfect. Our government makes mistakes, just as it did in our founding fathers. That is why followers of Jesus have to speak up and talk about the issues of their day. In fact, consider Daniel for just a moment. Remember this King Nebuchadnezzar who carries these people off. Daniel's one of them. And Daniel approaches King Nebuchadnezzar. And in Daniel 4.27, he says this. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past to be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Daniel pleads with the king to stop sinning. That is what followers of Jesus ought to be doing for their nation. Bring attention to the sin so that God can bring
1: peace and prosperity. Daniel approaches the king, and says, stop sinning. That might
0: not be the smartest approach to the king. Because if you know anything about kings, they don't like to be told they're sinning. If you tell the king you're sinning, you're likely to be dying. That's just the way that works.
1: Kings don't like that. But Nebuchadnezzar listens to Daniel. We should be working for the peace and prosperity of our city, of our state, and our world.
0: But it doesn't stop there. The instructions go on and say we ought to pray for the peace and prosperity of Babylon. The the children of Israel are are, are being told by God to pray for the peace and prosperity of the Babylonians. The people have carried them off into captivity. who have have taken them from their
1: homeland and, and brought them to a place that they cannot practice, their religion, the way they wanted to. Look,
0: that's an instruction that every follower of Jesus should be doing for our government. We should be praying for the peace and prosperity of our government. We should be praying for the peace and prosperity of our nation. We also probably ought to be praying for for the peace and prosperity of nations that are our greatest threat. I mean, think about that for just a moment. If we prayed for the peace and prosperity of nations that would would threaten us, what what do they have to threaten us for? Because if they're peaceful and prosperous, it sort of ruins the reasons for doing the other things. Because if they have all they want, what's the problem? Now, I realize that's a perfect world and a perfect situation. And we know we're not going to see that. But that is probably something that we ought to be doing because the Babylonians were
1: not exactly the children of Israel's friends. They carried them off into captivity. It might also be that we should pray for those who
0: have different political beliefs than we have. We ought to pray for their peace. We
1: ought to pray for their prosperity. We ought to pray for them. Because not everyone sees everything the same way. Look, he goes on, Jeremiah's
0: writing, verse 8. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. Jeremiah told them, there will be those who are with you Who will tell you to rise up and revolt? Don't do it. They're not my instructions. The instructions given by Jeremiah is what God is saying. And the people saying opposite of that are lying. Don't listen to them. Jeremiah goes on and writes, this is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. And I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord they're plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you. And I will bring you home again to your own land. Look, when I read all this, I know that that promise and those promises don't directly apply to us as individuals, as a nation. It doesn't apply. Like, it's not like God is promising that if, if we go someplace and we go through 70 years of, of difficulty, he's going to bring us back and resource. No, that's a promise to the nation of Israel. I, I understand that. And I understand the principle here is really a direct communication to, to the people of, of Jerusalem that are carried off into captivity and they're living in Babylon. But there's a principle here that we can learn from the Scriptures, that we can understand that our responsibility is to live our faith in the midst of all kinds of settings. It's for us to live out our, our relationship with Jesus no matter what goes on around us. Look, here's one thought I want you to walk away with today. We must view our politics through the lens of our faith, not our faith through the lens of our politics. We must view our politics through the lens of our faith, not our faith through the lens of our politics. Look, look, everything that we do has to be framed and lived out through the lens of the faith that we proclaim through the life of Jesus who is our Savior. That, that Everything has to be filtered through that. We must see things that way.
1: We must be followers of Jesus first. Americans, farther
0: down the line someplace, probably not even second. Look, our responsibility, even if we've been called to to serve in government and and, uh, through elected office or vocation, our our responsibilities are Jesus first, probably our family second, ministry then work somewhere in those neighborhoods. And so we, we need to understand that that is what God wants us to do. But I also think that we have to be involved in the process. That that little phrase, we the people, we the people, like that's what our nation's founded on, that we the people are part of the solution. You know, to be honest, we the people of God are the solution. We the people of God are what is going to bring life and peace, and prosperity into our nation. If the people of God, if we the people of God don't take up what God has called us to do, our nation's in trouble. We are the salt that is bringing salvation into this place. Look, if it wasn't for followers of Jesus in our nation, this nation would probably already be steamrolled over by something very large. There's something about the salt the the savor of the, the follower of Jesus that brings God's hand at times into our nation. Look, we know that he'll use anybody to do anything at any time. If he could use the Babylonians,
1: he'll use anybody. And he uses the Babylonians to correct his people. And people matter to God. Another thought that probably we should walk away from this is is that we need to put people before politics. People are eternal. People are going to last forever. Our government's not. We're glad for that.
0: Because we're looking forward to a day when when Jesus is reigning, then his, his eternal reign is, his, you know, new heavens, new earth. We've already experienced rapture, all those things. We're looking for that day. We, we, we can't wait for that. Because things will be perfect
1: then. But people are way more important than politics. There are times when politics means that we're working for the protection of people And that
0: must be informed by our faith. We must be careful so that we put people first. And we need to put the Scriptures first. We need to put our faith first because if we do, it will help us. So, put it another way, if if followers of Jesus do not speak publicly about moral and ethical issues facing our nation, who's going to? Where where will people learn
1: about what's right and wrong? Hollywood? That was easy. How about from friends? School? The university? There's nothing wrong with any of those things but we have to appeal to something that's greater than ourselves. The simple fact is that followers of Jesus,
0: if we don't speak publicly about what the Bible teaches on issues of right and wrong, there aren't many other good sources for that to happen. Look, there's great examples in the Scriptures of people who challenge their leaders, like Daniel. Daniel. Daniel is a perfect example. We've already
1: talked about him. But also, think about David. David challenges Moses.
0: Think of Moses. Moses delivers a message to the to to the to Pharaoh from God, so told him, "Let my people go." He didn't listen, and Egypt paid the price for it. Think about Nehemiah, Mordecai, Queen Esther. They were put in significant positions of influence to have impact on the leaders around them. We must use the influence that we have to call our nation, our city, our state to righteousness. But we must do it with honor and respect. We must do it to bring the name of Jesus to become prominent. The message of Jesus to be prominent in our world. But, and we've got to call the nation to holiness. We've got to respect our government. We've got to respect the people in authority. That's what Paul teaches us in Romans 13. Romans 13 says, Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes, too, for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. And the government workers in the room say, amen. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. So, I mean, think about this for just a moment.
1: Paul writes this to a church in Rome. And he says to submit yourself to the governing authorities.
0: How good do you think the Romans were at that point? And they were only going to get worse. I mean, they're a mess of a nation. Like there's not a whole lot of morality going on. They're a mess. And Paul writes this as instructions to the church to submit to governing authorities. Look, we got to pay our taxes. We might not like what they're all used for at times. we got to support the government. We need to pray for peace and prosperity in our land. Look, the reason we need government is because God doesn't want anarchy. And quite honestly, you don't either. See, we can point out the wickedness of earthly rulers.
1: But if you walk out of here and your car's gone, you want justice. If there's no government, people get to do what they want to do. And the meanest person wins. God doesn't want that. He doesn't want the weak and the helpless to suffer.
0: God has therefore instituted rulers and authorities, even though they're not perfect, in order to bring some order to the world.
1: Until Jesus rules forever. As followers of Jesus, we need to work and pray for the peace
0: and prosperity of our nation. We aren't given the guarantees that the Jewish people were given by Jeremiah, but we must still work for the peace of our nation. While doing so, we need to speak to the issues of the day. Look, life is important, not just when people want life to exist. So we should work for the lives of the unborn. Abortion is a national sin. And we ought to repent of it as individuals and as a people. Oh, we may not have anything to do with it. Look, and if you've gone through, just be, understand, look, if you've had an abortion, if you've gone through something like that, this is not a condemning moment. God's grace is sufficient. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is not the point. But the point is, in this nation, that's something that we should not tolerate as followers of Jesus. But I'm also going to tell you something. If all we do is complain about it, that's not good enough. We have a responsibility as followers of Jesus to use our
1: positions, our authority. We the people, we the people need to
0: make the voices heard. Look, if all we do is complain and we don't pray,
1: that's not good enough. If all we do is complain and pray, that's not a good enough either. We need to communicate with the people that make
0: those decisions. We need to be people who are willing to voice the, 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 the displeasure we have, not in a wrong way, but in a right way. It's, it's sort of like Daniel, and just say to our people
1: in charge, stop sinning. Perhaps God will make us prosperous again. Perhaps God will help us. Look, we need to make
0: sure that our government helps take care of the poor and the needy. And I realize that that in some ways is a, is a joint responsibility between the church and the government. Look, there's certain things now in our government that, that we can't really take back over as the church. And there's some of it that we, we should at times. Let me give you a perspective. There should never be anyone in our church that ever has to go to foster care as a child. Why do I say that? Because we ought to care for them. Because we have the responsibility to care for those that are right here within our body. We have the responsibility to take care of the orphan and the widow. We, we have a responsibility to not only care for our orphans and widows, but we need to look at our city and say, God, help us to care for the orphan and the widow in our city. Lord, help us to care for the orphan and the widow in our state. Look, and we have to keep our moral position pure. If we're going to make a moral argument, don't lose our morality in doing it. Don't lose your your Christ-likeness in making the argument of morality. We as followers of Jesus must communicate the message of Jesus and the power of Christ in our message. So we write letters to our leaders. We send emails to our leaders. It needs to be done with respect and honor. But it needs to be done with a moral position that comes from the God that we serve. It needs to come from those moments where we understand that these things are not acceptable. Look, none of us would, would, would suggest that we should have any kind of racism in our midst. It, it's unacceptable. It can't go on. And yet, America has actually dealt with it since its founding. Look, we, we know that that's unacceptable. And as the followers of Jesus, we must lead that cause.
1: I've got to do better in that. There's so many of these things that I know I must do better.
0: We can't allow injustice in our nation and our world. Look, if we have an ability to help people, we, we've got to do it. I mean, think about it. I just think about a guy when I'm talking about things like this. I think about a guy named Bob Goff. Who Bob Goff is a lawyer in San Diego, and he's a pretty high-end lawyer. He, he could live a pretty comfortable life wrote a book called Love Does. But Bob Goff is not okay with a comfortable life. He's aware that there are children in a country called Uganda that are being trafficked into slavery and the sex trade. And he uses his skill as a lawyer to go into Uganda and put people in prison and to set captives free. Like... That's pretty cool because he's not sitting doing nothing. He's trying to work for the oppressed. That's something that we have to do something about. Look, look that's, what, that's what we the people, look, if you really want to understand, we the people of God are the hope of this nation. We the people of God are the, the only hope for this nation. Look, we, the people of God, we, we have to vote. Do you realize that there was like millions of evangelical Christians
1: who didn't vote in the last election? Like, that doesn't make sense. We want to complain, but we don't want to vote. I'm not telling you to vote for them. Just vote. Look at moral
0: conditions. Look at moral subjects. Look at what you ought to do from a moral perspective and and, and begin to walk that line and understand that that's what we ought to do. That's our responsibility. But our responsibility doesn't end at election day. Our responsibility is to be a moral voice for our world. Our responsibility is to be people who will communicate right and wrong from a position of something greater than ourselves, the God that we serve, the creator of heaven and earth. Just like our founding fathers did when they said all men are created equal with certain unalienable rights. They were just not sure how far that went. And we know today that goes everywhere. That everybody is a child of God born with the imprint of God in them in some form or fashion. Now look, they're not
1: followers of Jesus. But God's created them. And we need to fight for them. And we must be the people of God. In this culture, at this time, this world needs us more than ever before. When things are wrong, we must be willing to speak about them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning.
0: Thank you, God, for your incredible love. God, your incredible blessing on us as the people of America. Lord, we don't want to lose that. And Lord, we actually do want to pray for the peace of our nation. We also want to confess sins that we've committed as a nation. We want to say, God, forgive us for not valuing the unborn. Forgive us, God, for allowing racism to exist in our world. Forgive us, God, for allowing people to be oppressed, be taken advantage of. Lord, help us to take on our responsibility as followers of Jesus in this day and in this hour Lord that we would be your people
1: in this community
0: accomplishing your work God that we would do what you want us to do for our nation God you would do great things in our land
1: and through our lives in Jesus name